me to Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. While you're turning there, let me ask you a few questions. I want you to really think about these. Number one, do you know why you are alive? Do you know the answer to that? Do you know what your purpose is? Why you? Why now in this moment? Why Louisville, Kentucky, of all places, great city, terrible basketball teams yesterday, though. Only kidding. Some of you are going to have to get saved again now. Why Louisville? Why now? Why us? Why you? Did you ever ask why you look the way that you do? Have you ever wondered about the talent that you have and why you have it and why you don't have some of the talent that other people do have? Did you ever wonder why you could draw a picture but you can't carry a tune in a bucket? Did you ever wonder why you could write beautifully but like Phil Collins you can't dance? You know what I'm saying? Did you ever wonder about the way that you are made, the way that God crafted you to be who you are? Your divine purpose is the personalized calling that God has appointed and anointed you to accomplish so that you may bring him the greatest glory and achieve the maximum expansion of his kingdom. Now, over the last several weeks, we've been talking about this idea of purpose and how that God did not create us just that we could accumulate wealth and so that people could know who we are. But he has created us with a purpose so that we can be involved in the moving uh, his kingdom into this world and glorifying and expanding his kingdom. So last week, we talked about how that once we discover our purpose, it begins to bring fulfillment into our lives. It it, it causes us to get up differently in the morning and to realize that I am here for a purpose. God has created me for a reason. But if that is true, then why are there so many people that just go through the motions every day of their life? It's just the same old stuff every day of their life. Dr. Tony Evans calls that the same old disease. And here's what he says about it. He says, every day you get up from the same old bed and you go to the same old bathroom to to look in the same old mirror at the same old face. Then you go to the same old closet and put on the same old clothes on the same old body. After that, you eat your same old breakfast at the same old table and then get in your same old car to go to your same old job. And after working all day next to the same old people for the same old pay, you get back in your same old car and drive on the same old road back to the same old house. And later you pick up the same old remote, sit down in the same old chair, and watch the same old shows until you go to the same old bed and wake up the next day to rehearse the same old routine. That sounds like anybody's life here this morning. God wants more for us than for us to just go through the same old stuff every day. 
He has created us for a reason. Now, I have no question in my mind that there are people in this house that you would say, I would love to experience the power of God in my life. I, I see other people who are operating in the power of God and living out the power of God in their lives. I would love to have that level of power in my life. Well, let me tell you something. God's power is always connected to God's purpose. And if you will find your purpose and start living it out in your life, I promise you, you'll have as much of God's power as you can handle. Because God will pour out upon you all the resources and blessings that you will ever need. He has already said through Peter in the New Testament, he said, he said that we have all things that pertain to life and godliness already in our possession. So God will provide everything that we need. So today now, what do we need to know about this thing called purpose? Well, I have three thoughts that I'd like to leave with you today. And the first one is this. Your purpose was determined before you were conceived. Let me say that again. Your purpose was determined before you were conceived. My name is William Robert Baker, Jr., I was born on January the 9th, 1959. So that you don't have to get your calculators out, I'll just go ahead and tell you, I just turned 57. You don't have to do the math now. I'm smart enough to realize that my life did not start on January the 9th, 1959. If you, if you go back approximately nine months, I'm smart enough to realize that there was this thing that happened called conception. It's where God worked through my father and my mother to allow me to be conceived and that, you would think, would be the beginning of my life. Correct? Wrong. God thought about me before I was conceived. Look at Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5. It says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, I don't know about you, but it should be encouraging to know that our purpose was determined not by bloodline, not by culture, not by circumstances, but by God himself. As you're sitting here this morning, I already told you a few weeks ago, you are a masterpiece. The scripture says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That you are made according to his plan and his hand in our lives. And, and, and you are his workmanship, which means that you are literally the masterpiece of God. Look at your neighbor and say, I didn't realize I was sitting beside a masterpiece this morning. But it's encouraging to know that my purpose was determined not by my bloodline, not by culture, not by circumstances, but by God himself. Now, I want you to notice this word before. What does before mean? It means at first, before anything else happened 
something happened by the hand of God. Now, I want you to notice in verse five that, uh, four and five, that three things happened before. Number one, he said, before I formed you, I knew you. I don't know about you, that that amazes me. Before I had even come into existence by way of conception, God Almighty knew me. Now, I looked this up among the commentators. Gill's exposition of the Bible says, God not merely knew you by his omniscience, but he, as he knows all men before their conception and birth, but with such a knowledge as had special love and affection joined with it. How many of you are parents? Can I see your hands? Did you ever think that it would be imaginable that they could take this wet, wrinkly thing that had been giving mom all kinds of trouble? Why do you think they call having a baby deliverance? This baby comes out and it's wet and it's and sometimes just downright ugly. Can I get an amen? And there are times that you look at that baby and you say to the doctor, put him back in for a while. He's he's not finished. He's not done cooking. But but we are born in such a way that when when that child comes into our possession, we immediately love that child. I mean, it's a supernatural thing that takes place. And what God is saying here is, is that before your mama and your daddy even thought of you, I knew you and was in the process of bringing you into existence. And I knew everything that there was to know about you before conception. I knew you. And then he said, not only did I know you, but I consecrated you. Now, this word consecrate is an interesting word because it means that he separated us for a special purpose. My wife was telling somebody just this week that ever since we've been married, when I eat, I look at my plate and I determine which bite is going to be the best bite on my plate. You know, I, I can figure that out. I look at it and I say, oh, that looks good right there. So I kind of scoot that bite, that bite off to the side and I eat around it, saving it for the last. And when we first got married, she didn't understand that. And so it was not uncommon for her to take her fork and reach across the table and take my consecrated bite <laughs> that I had pushed aside to save for another moment. And I found myself conflicted because I loved her, but I wanted that consecrated bite. And I wasn't sure if I loved the consecrated bite more than I loved her. And so finally we had to have a conversation about it and say, look, I know that you know that I'm shoving that to the side so that I can have it for myself in the very last bite. Because it's the best bite. It's the consecrated bite. I said, no, if you really need to have it, I'll let you have it. Because I love you more than I do that bite. But I really wish that you would take a different bite rather than the consecrated bite. So I'm talking about that thing that is set aside for a special reason. And for a special purpose. What God was saying is, is that before 
you were ever even formed and conceived, I already had a love for you that caused me to want to separate you off to the side so that I could have that, that special moment and season in your life. So he consecrated them. And then the third thing is, he said, I appointed you. He said, not only did I know you, but I consecrated you and I appointed you. Listen, whom God appoints, he anoints and gives accompanying authority to produce the divine purpose of the assignment. If God has called you to do something, he's going to provide everything that you need. Not only in resources, but by authority. You will be able to accomplish and do what God has called you to do. I've told this story before, but you know, there are times that things are going on in the supernatural realm that you can't understand uh, and, and have a resource and, and an understanding for in the natural. And I remember having to deal with a man one time who was all, all up in my grill, so to speak. And the Lord spoke to me supernaturally and gave me some information about that man that I could have not known in a million years. But when the moment was right, in a way not to destroy him, but to bring freedom and release to him over a previous sin and a sin that was going on in his life right now, I was able to say, you know, I think I know why you're so angry. And you're not just so angry with me, but you're angry with everyone. You're angry with anybody who walks into your space. And it's because you're having an affair with this lady. And I called her name and even told them where they had been before. Now, before you run out and say, I don't want to be around a guy like that. Let me tell you, that's really the only time something like that's ever happened But God knew that for me to do what had to be done in that assignment, that I had to have some supernatural anointing and wisdom that I could not generate in the natural realm. And so God spoke and God appointed me and he anointed me and gave me the accompanying authority to produce the divine purpose of the assignment. So the first thing you need to know is is that before you were ever even conceived, God knew you. He set you aside as someone special. He loves you. You are his workmanship. You are a masterpiece in the eyes of God. And if you're going to ever walk in your purpose successfully, you're going to have to stop seeing yourself the way that somebody described you when you were little or when you were young or somebody last week who doesn't care for you and said some things about you that were not accurate about you. And you're going to have to start saying, it doesn't matter what anyone else says or thinks. I know that I am the masterpiece of the living God. I am special to him. Now, here's the second thing that I want you to understand today. Not only did he have a purpose for you before you were conceived, your purpose was individually designed for you. There's not another one like you. No one else has your purpose. It's foolish to try to be like someone else because God didn't make you to be like someone else. God already has a Jack Dambrose. God already has a Kelly Doby. God already has a Shannon Pitts who sang beautifully, by the way, today. 
Amen. Give her a good, good applause today. God already has a Ray Ayers. God already has a Loretta Barrett. God already has them, and he created them for their purpose. And if you become a copy of someone else, then God doesn't have the you that he created. So what he wants you to do and be is to be and do what he has created for you to be and do. Yeah, I'm so glad I don't have to preach like other people. I'm so glad that I don't have to look like others. I'm so glad that my anointing is not tied to some other individual. But that God has called me individually and given me a divine and unique purpose for my life. I can't wrap my head around this idea of fingerprints. But they tell me that there's no fingerprints that are exactly like yours. That everyone has a unique fingerprint. Now, the reason that it's hard for me to wrap my head around that is because you think about all the way back to Adam and Eve to the time that we are now living in. We're talking about billions of people who have walked on the face of this earth. And yet we're told that none of those fingerprints are the same. They say the same thing about DNA, that DNA is so unique that they can identify someone even after many years if the DNA is still viable. It blows my mind to think that there is no one on the face of this earth that is exactly like me. That God saw that he needed a William Robert Baker Jr. And he inspired my mom and dad at some point, in some way, at some place. And I was conceived and came into this world by the specifications that God had made and created specifically for me. It's amazing. If you have your Bibles, turn to Esther chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. And while you're turning there, let me talk to you about this lady named Esther. The scripture tells us that she was very beautiful. That she was extremely good looking. So much so that when the king was looking for a woman to add to his harem... And looking for a wife who could come and uh, in, into, his, into his kingdom. As they went out and searched. Now I'm not here to debate women's rights and that kind of thing. It's history, okay? So don't anybody come up and punch me in the nose to, to, after church or anything like that. It's the way the world worked back then. They went out and they looked at the women. And when they saw Esther, she was so beautiful. That those who were doing the choosing said, you have got to come and be a part of this process. And they brought her into the king's house. Now, God had allowed Esther to be born beautiful. She was also born a Jew. She was also born with a purpose that would see her move from where she lived before into the king's palace. And not only was she one of many women in his harem, but she became his favorite. And because she was his favorite, 
she had, uh, she had uh, circumstances and she had privileges that the other ones did not have. Now, while she was there, this wicked man by the name of Haman decided that he was going to wipe out all of the Jews, her, her being, her, her bloodline. He was going to wipe them all out. And they had put this plan in place that would cause all the Jews to be wiped off of the face of the earth. And Mordecai, Esther's uncle, came to her and said, Hey, remember now, you are here in the king's house for a reason. You're not here just for fun. You're not here just to be beautiful. You're not here just to be the king's favorite. But you are here for a purpose. And you know the story. The time came when Haman was ready to do his dirty work. And it appears from reading the scripture that Esther had gotten used to her environment in the king's house. And that she had come to the place where she wasn't real sure that she wanted to carry out the purpose that God had for her. And she had to be reminded by Mordecai that she was there for a reason. And that brings us to chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. It says, Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. What reply to Esther? She had just said and sent word to Mordecai, you know that I can't go into the king without being invited. If the king does not invite me to come, I can be killed. And so she had just sent that message to Mordecai, and Mordecai says, reply to her, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You know what he was saying to her? He's saying this is your purpose. What he really was saying is, is that it doesn't matter if you die in the process. It doesn't matter if you have to lay your life down. If you want to fulfill your God-given destiny and purpose, you have to do this thing that God has called you to do. So she went on before the king, and you know the rest of the story. Tony Evans said this to Esther. He spoke directly to her in this quote. He said, God puts you, Esther, in a strategic position at a strategic time to fulfill a strategic purpose that entails more than just shopping and customizing your wardrobe. I like that, don't you? You know, in America in particular, we've got this idea that God just wants to bless us for the sake of blessing us. That God just wants to give us better cars and bigger houses and more money and, and, and bank accounts that are full so that we can walk around and have whatever we want and whenever we want it. But that is not the reason that God has given us what we have. 
He has given us what we have so that we can be stewards over it and put it in the soil that is fertile that will allow fruit to be born in our realm of responsibility. It's just like what I shared with you about Israel. It's what I shared with you about the ball players. It's what I've shared with you in times past about Zumba in the back building throughout the week. It's what I've shared with you about this new child care center. It is not about making money, but it's about ministering to children who need a good Christian influence in their lives. There's nothing that excites me anymore than to walk up and down these hallways and see the preacher or the the teachers as they're laying hands on these children and praying for them. I saw Kate one day in there feeding the children and praying for the lips that are taking in that food and praying for the tongue that is processing that food and praying for that stomach that is going to process all the nutrients and nutrition and shoot it out into the body and praying for the hands and praying for the feet and praying from them from the top of their head to the soles of their feet. God has not anointed you and blessed you just to be rich and happy and healthy. He has blessed you so that you can pour it back into the kingdom of God and hear him say one day, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That is the reason that we live. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 16 says, A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before the great. You never know when that door is going to click open for you. And the gifts that you have been developing in your lifetime will usher you into a season of influence like you've never known or seen before. See, that's why it's important. Here's the problem that we have sometimes. We like to just wait until the door opens. I'm just going to sit over here and chew on a piece of straw until God puts me where I need to be. No, you need to be taking every moment of every day and developing the gift that you know is in you so that when that door of opportunity opens up for you, you can walk right in and not with an arrogant attitude, but with a confident statement of faith say, I'm here and I have an answer that will make a difference. It's not because of me, but it is because of Jesus Christ who lives in me and greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen. So don't just sit around waiting. Get involved. Do something. Develop your gift. And it will open the doors at the right time. Another thing I want you to know and then I'm going to quit. It's 1114 for those of you who are keeping time. We don't have any of those around here. Number three, your purpose completes his plan. God has a plan. It's eternal. God had a plan before he even started the process of creation. Sometimes we get this idea that God's just trying to catch up with everything. 
that he gets up in the morning and says, oh no, what am I going to do today? I mean, they got ahead of me. I mean, they got behind me. I mean, what am I going to do? Uh, Jesus, how can we fix this? Holy Ghost, what are we going to do? And, and we've got this mindset that God's just running around, twirling his fingers and saying, oh my goodness, what am I going to get? No, God knows what is happening. God thought of it. He put it into place uh, and he has put people in the right place at the right time in the right season so that his plan will move forward. He has given you a piece to the puzzle. Now God is not going to allow his eternal plan to be held hostage by your reticence to be involved. Remember what Mordecai said to Esther? He said, if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. In other words, Esther, this is going to get done. Deliverance is going to come. God's plan is not going to be set on the back burner. God is going to move this thing in a positive direction. But he has put you in place to, to, to use your gifts and your ability and your influence to make sure that it, it comes off in his plan and in his way. So, so God has given you a piece of the puzzle. Now, I, I asked our uh, toddler class this week in the daycare to help me preach today. We couldn't bring them in here, so I asked them to, to do some things in the class the other day. And so, John, if you would put that first picture up. Now, they weren't all there this day, so we had to go with what we had in place. But they built this puzzle for me. And they put it all together except for one piece right in the middle. Now, how many of you know that no matter how beautiful the puzzle might be, it is incomplete if there is a missing puzzle part? It can never be the beautiful creation that it was intended until everyone puts their piece of the puzzle in place. Otherwise, it just looks like something that was incomplete and, and has no form or no beauty. They have to get all the pieces in the puzzle in their proper place. Show me the, the next picture if you will. Here's how God does it. God fills the hole in the puzzle by supplying pieces to the puzzle to every individual. Now, here's the problem. When the picture does not get finished, it's because we like our puzzle piece so much that we won't part from the puzzle piece. We just want to walk around and brag about our puzzle piece. See my puzzle piece? Isn't this a pretty piece? If I ever get around to putting this puzzle piece in the puzzle... It's going to make a beautiful picture. But for today, I'm just going to hold on to my puzzle piece. How many of you know that God is not going to reward us for looking good while we hold the puzzle piece that he has put in our hands to create a beautiful picture? If we don't use what God has given us to use, the picture will never get finished. But something happens when everyone gets involved. When everyone takes their piece of the puzzle and puts it into the picture, the picture becomes complete. Give me the other picture if you will. And great celebration takes place. 
when it all comes together, when the picture comes together, we celebrate. And we're able to say things like, look what the Lord has done. Look at this beautiful picture that God has created. That's the reason I say to you all the time, it's not my job to build the church. Jesus said, I will build the church. And if I build the church, the gates of hell shall not be able to prevail against the church that I am going to create. He said, your job is to build people who will be parts of the puzzle of the church that I am about to build. Man, you can look around. I wish you could see what I can see this morning. I'm telling you, God has brought people from the east and the west. He has released them from the north and the south. He has released them from America and countries outside of America. He has brought them into the body of Christ because he has a purpose and a reason for this church and you are important. You know the problem that we get when we consider church as a consumeristic thing, I'll just go to a church where I can enjoy myself. I'm just going to go to a church where the music is is always perfect. I'm going to go to the church where the pastor is really cool. I'm going to go to the church where it best meets this need or meets that need. When we attend a church because we are having a consumer moment, will this meet my needs? Then we may be missing the reality that God assembles the body together based on the picture and the plan and he brings you here so that your puzzle piece will fit nicely into the picture that he is building. But if you get mad because we didn't sing the right song or you get mad because we didn't do the right thing and you take your little puzzle piece and go somewhere else, you know what? God has to bring someone else with a puzzle piece that will fit because you took your puzzle and went home. Rather than doing that, and and, and again, I want to say this. I said this Wednesday night. I am so privileged to be able to pastor this church. I, I, I just don't have that kind of stuff to deal with. I don't have people stopping me in the hallway and saying, if you don't do this, I'm going to do this. And if you don't say this, and if you don't stop saying that, I've got some of the most agreeable, lovely, loving, enjoyable people to work with that I have ever worked with in my life. And I am so thankful to you. But what I am trying to get you to see is, is this is not a one-man show. It can't be. It's not based on just the music, the quality of it, or the lack of quality. It's not just the Sunday school teachers. It, it's not just the, the, the intercessory prayer team. It's that all of us working together, hand in hand, putting our pieces of the puzzle together, knowing that as we do so, God is building a beautiful picture. Come help me quit if you will. Aren't they a good looking bunch? Give them a hand. Amen. Every individual is part of the expansion of the kingdom of God. You remember when I first came to you five years ago, I started saying things like this. Expect the best in every situation. That's what children of God do. 
Doesn't matter how bad it looks right now. If God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power of God that works in us, then there's nothing too hard for him. And so I can just naturally expect the best. I started saying things like you to you like explore your faith in every situation. There will be days that you'll have good days. Explore your faith in that time. There will be days that you'll have bad days. Explore your faith. God, what are you trying to teach me? I'm not asking you to get me out of this mess as much as I am that you will help me to understand what I need to get out of this mess and understand so that I can be mature in you. And I said things like this, there will come a time when this church has to start thinking about expanding the kingdom of God, not only within us, but expanding the kingdom outside of these four walls. And we're doing that. God is giving us opportunity. God is giving us the opportunity to impact people in this city. And I'm so thankful. Colossians 1 verses 9 through 14 says, and so from the day that we heard... We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins Here's the problem that we have oftentimes is we think, well, if I'm going to walk in his purpose, I have to be a preacher. I have to be a Sunday school teacher. I have to sing in the, in the group. I have to park cars. I have to do, if I'm some, that may be some of your purpose. It may be what God is asking for some of you to do. Try not to define what God is trying to do. Discover it and walk in it. As he reveals it, there are some of you that are raising kids that are going to grow up to have a supernatural anointing of God upon their lives. And you're the one who's raising them to be that individual. Every time that you put food in their belly, you can put food in their belly and say, God, this young man, this young girl that I'm raising, I'm raising them for your glory. I'm raising you so that one day they won't grow up and be a professional ball player, soccer player, musician, whatever, unless it pertains to your purpose and your will for their life. See, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And Paul said... In verse 33, he said, I, treat, I try to please everything, everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they might be saved. What Paul's saying is, is, I want my life to be lived in such a way that when people come in contact with me, 
that they'll have a supernatural encounter with Almighty God and their lives will be transformed because of it. Will you stand with me this morning?